Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Um, well, welcome this morning to, to the space where we get to worship each week, the space to set aside for, for our um, personal worship, uh, connecting with God as, as we sit in the sanctuary, uh, but to also do so corporately, to sit in the midst of other believers and to agree together that, that Christ is worthy of our worship. We come today and set aside the distractions and the, and the things that would pull our attention away from God and focus, um, particularly in this season of, of, of what's to come, this building excitement, this anticipation that uh, the baby is on its way. Um, and as we enter into uh, this Christmas season, um, we will celebrate and rejoice and have our, have our imaginations filled with wonder once again as the baby arrives uh, in Bethlehem, and we celebrate that um, this year. Um, last week, it was great to have a vow share uh, uh, during our second week of Advent on peace, um, along with the kids' praise team that, that led us last week. That was a lot of fun. Um, next week, uh, don't miss the, the lighting of our, our final uh, Advent uh, candle. Um, and our final theme of love that's coming uh, next week. Um, and then also we have the Sunday evening experience uh, of Blue Christmas, uh, a worship service meant for those who find themselves in active stages of grief. Um, grief doesn't hold a timeline. <laughs> it doesn't end when it's supposed to. It doesn't, doesn't treat us nicely. Um, and particularly during the holidays, it can be really tough for people who have recently experienced loss or, or experienced loss a number of years ago. Um, and so if you want to come and participate with us um, next Sunday night, uh, we would love to have you, have you join us. Uh, today, as we look to the lectionary text for uh, this reading in Advent or, or this, uh, this message this morning, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. Uh, if you have a device uh, on which you read the scriptures, I invite you to open your device and point it to Luke chapter 3. Uh, the words of, of the text will also be behind me on the screen if it, if it behaves for the next uh, several minutes. Uh, I apologize for that, um, and yet uh, it's okay. It's okay, right? Because we just get together and, and we sing and we worship and we listen to the word and we allow God to shape our lives, and that's the, 
that's what we do when we get together. So um, reading today from Luke chapter 3, I'm going to be starting at verse 7 and working down through verse 18. Out of reverence for the reading of God's word, those who are able and willing, would you please stand as we read together? Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives, and don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. So the crowds asked him, what then should we do? He answered, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none, and whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. They said to him, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, what about us? What should we do? He answered, don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. The people were filled with expectation and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please have a seat. Well, what a joyful <laughs> text that the, the lectionary points us to, right? How about those opening words, you, you children of snakes, <clears throat> John the Baptist says. And yet here we are, and the lectionary has pointed us here to, to Luke chapter 3 as we talk about joy. It's kind of funny for me to talk about joy. Um, my wife and I uh, have learned quite a bit about each other over the course of our, our 23 years of, of marriage. Um, early on, she often wondered what was wrong with me. <laughs> okay, it still happens. Let's, let's be honest. Um, but but one, of, one of the things that we learned about each other that she learned about me is that it was, she, she wondered, why, why don't you get excited about things? Freeberg, why don't you get excited about things? But I was. I really was excited. And I'd tell her, I'd tell her, no, I'm excited. <laughs> this is my excited face right here. I'm really excited about this. She doesn't live life that way. When she's excited, it shows on her face and she gets, she, she gets giddy a little bit. She gets a little hyper. Um, she wants to party. She wants to celebrate. And I say, I'm excited about that. I am. Um, <laughs> I feel like we need to start there with with uh, with the lectionary text this week. This is our joy text. This this warning from John. This this admonition. This exhortation from John the Baptist is our joy text. 
this morning. Really, it is. Um, it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel that way sometimes as, as the text points us in different directions and we're led. But John starts out, you children of snakes. <laughs> Come on. Come on, preacher. It's supposed to be Christmas. Supposed to be Christmas. We had the first snowfall a little, a few days ago. Uh, we pulled out. My my daughter wanted to pull out the sled and like I'm pushing it down the mountain because it's not quite working all the way. Um, where are the Christmas cookies? And you're calling us children of snakes. Today our passage follows on the heels of of where we were last week as as Val preached um, from the early parts of of Luke chapter three. Um, and, and if you were here, or even if you weren't, as, as you look at the beginning of chapter 3, chapter 3 kind of starts off in this weird way too, with all these names of leaders and, and people that, that held positions of power in the world in which the gospel writer lived. And as Val so poignantly pointed out to us last week, uh, the contrast between the ways of power of this world and the, and the semblance of control that these leadership positions sought to bring their kind of peace. The peace that Christ brings at Christmas is a different kind of peace entirely. This contrast between power and control bringing peace and, and all being at peace and there being no conflict and the peace that we experience in encountering the Christ child. Not from the top, but from below, from within, as Christ brings peace in our hearts. As I've reflected this year, as we've kind of journeyed through Advent together, we kind of, this is kind of the midpoint in, in reality in a lot of ways. Um, there's, no, there's no clear midpoint, but, but this kind of marks the turn as we begin to, to near Bethlehem. And we begin to near the manger. And Advent doesn't look typical. The, the, the celebrations of Advent kind of leave us wanting that it isn't full-on Christmas yet. The baby hasn't arrived yet. And it's important for us to, to pause in that tension and to say we want to encounter with the Israelite people this sense of, of expectation and longing for Jesus. And yet my heart wants to go there. My heart wants to sing all the Christmas carols to say, joy to the world and the baby has arrived and can't we celebrate? That feels joyful to me. And yet Advent is this point in this, in this journey where we have to pause and say, yes, we have joy because we've encountered Christ. We've given our, our hearts to him. There's the already realized joy of our salvation. And yet we need, and it's so healthy, and it's so, so enriching to realize that we're not there yet as well. We have this waiting to experience. And, and I think that's important in Advent, to have our expectations reshaped a bit. Just like peace last, last week, a peace that's not experienced by control, a peace that isn't experienced by, by having all the power, having the titles and having the positions, but a peace that comes through knowing Christ. And joy for us, again, needs to, the expectations of joy 
need to be reshaped again this week. It's common to think of joy as kind of this happy and carefree and, and everything is good, all cupcakes and roses type of, of experience. That's not the joy that we experience in Advent. Our joy is laden with hope and with peace. The everything is golden joy has no need for the reminder of hope. The proclamation of peace. And the question is, how does this text steer us toward joy? Let's take a look at this this morning. I mean, the first thing I was struck by as I, as I studied this text is just the diversity in the crowd. The, 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 all types of people had come to, to see this crazy guy in the desert, John the Baptist. We had a picture, not of the real John the Baptist last week, um, but, but kind of this odd, crazy character that doesn't fit the mold of society, doesn't look normal in any way. And he kind of chastises his own success, right? People finally come. People are coming. What do he say? You brood of snakes. You, you children of vipers. It's, it's, not, it's not what they recommend when you're trying to draw a crowd. But John had drawn this crowd. Certainly there were all types. There were looky-loos, right? Don't do that on the freeway. Uh, and, and don't do it with John the Baptist. There were people who just kind of come. They had heard about this excitement and they wanted to see what was up. Let's go, let's go check it out. There were people there that had relied on their, their heritage and tradition. It says there were tax collectors there, even soldiers, which is surprising to me. For the Israelites didn't have a, a soldier force. This is Roman soldiers that had showed up. Gentiles, totally unfamiliar with the rhythms of worship of the Israelite people had showed up. Maybe out of suspicion, maybe out of, I wonder what's going on. Maybe out of, maybe sent there to, to, to provide security. Don't let things get out of hand out there in the river with the crazy guy. And how did John know what to say? How did John know what to say with, with all this, this wide swath of society showing up? How can John say something meaningful to each of them to address them? It's clear that people had, had come to see this odd fella in the, in the desert, and John cuts to the heart of the issue. And what does he talk about? John talks about fruit. John talks about fruit. John has this sense of, of urgency that our repentance, repentant heart, that's, that was his message, repent for one is coming, Repent, turn your life around, get right. Not only be sorry for the things that you did, but, but head another direction. And he has this sense that, that as we do that, that should lead our lives toward a transformed life. Observable fruit. Where is the fruit in your life, John says? Not... not have enough fruit that you're good enough for God. Like, like do enough good that, that God will accept you. That's not John's message. That's not what we take. That's not how, how it works. It's not do well enough that God can accept you. It's that I have repented. I have turned. I have walked a new direction. And there's evidence of that in my life. 
That, the repentance that John was calling for wasn't flippant or trite. <laughs> you remember when you, you scolded your kids and they said, okay, dad, I'm sorry. Doesn't sound very sorry. Sounds like you're sorry you got caught, right? <laughs> That's not the repentance that John is calling for. It, it, it was this heart-rending, life-changing repentance. Not just the stopping of bad behavior. Not just the slap on the wrist, but a fruit-producing repentance. The side characters here in John's story, in the, in the gospel story, uh, become a useful tool for the writer. Uh, a chance to help John explain what in the world is, is he talking about. He's kind of talked about have your lives bear fruit and and uh, those that wouldn't be produced would be chopped down, thrown into the fire. And John gets to explain what he means. We, we see a picture of, of the preaching of John the Baptist in this, in this story. The gathered crowd, I think, probably sensed that they were getting scolded a little bit. <laughs> they were being put to task a little bit. And what do they say? They say, well, what do we do? How, how do we do this? Help us out. John's answer sounds so simple. Share. Share what you have. You have two coats. Share with the person who has none. Find someone whose fridge is empty. And share the bounty that you have with them. Provide for their need. The tax collectors speak up. They're, they're, a, different, they're a different crowd, uh, hated and reviled in, in Israel, Israelite society. Uh, the tax collectors are the ones who joined forces with the wrong side. Not only did they join forces with the wrong side, but now they're doing the errands for the wrong side. And the errands that they're doing is coming back to the Israelites and saying, you owe money. And oftentimes they would say, well, the amount you owe is maybe a little bit larger than what they have to give so that they, they could kind of take a little cut. Hated and reviled in the Israelite community. And yet they were drawn too to this crazy guy in the desert who was saying what? He was saying, repent. They'd probably heard that their whole lives. And yet something about John the Baptist, something about his message caught their attention, caught their heart. Tax collectors say, well, what do we do? John says, don't overtax. Don't take advantage of your position or the system that's kind of rigged to help you out. Do your job. Don't take advantage of the position and the power that you've been given. <laughs> Third set of characters pops into this story. The soldiers the Roman soldiers, the ones who, who had the authority to use and abuse power just to remind Israelites of their position. But a soldier could stop, and if the soldier was on the journey, could stop an Israelite and say, here, carry my stuff for a mile. That's where the phrase, if, if you're forced to go one mile, go two instead, that, where that comes from. Can you imagine? You're on your way to do your business, to do your things, and you have to drop what you're doing to walk a mile. How inconvenient is that? 
And that's, that's the authority that the soldiers had been given. And they say, well, what do we do? The, the, whole, in, the whole insanity of that moment is, is just crazy. The Roman soldier coming to the odd Israelite who's out in the desert, has an interesting wardrobe and, an, and a non-conventional diet, saying, what should we do? He says, don't cheat, don't harass. Be satisfied, be content with your pay. And the question for ourselves this morning as we look in this text is where do we find ourselves in those three groups of people? For the questions that they ask are the questions that we should be asking. What, God, should we do? The truth is we, we have to actively strive to accomplish these things. To have our responses match what John the Baptist is encouraging us to do. We have to have intent. Why? Because our, our normal response, our natural response, <clears throat> sometimes doesn't go there. It's not normal. And John is, John is saying that the, the essential outcome, the, the basic outcome of repentance is that we begin to do these things. We begin to show this fruit in our lives. That's what true repentance creates inside of us. How do we get there? How do we, how do we accomplish that? How do we let repentance not only be, well, I'm sorry again, but how do we let repentance begin to let these responses flow out of our lives? That is the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the transformational work that God wants to do in us. That's how we become new. That's what we've been talking about this whole year long. God wants to transform us into new creations that when God is in us, the old is gone and the new has come and the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives. Little by little. It's not all at once. It's not perfect at the, from the very outset. It takes time. It takes patience. We don't transform to, to look pretty, to show ourselves off, to be a prize or a trophy. We transform to be the agents of the work of God in this world, to live differently, to be generous, to be just, to be caring, to be content. The text shows the outcome of, of John's teaching. Diverse crowd becomes, in verse 15, filled with expectation. What makes you expectant? It's not when you encounter the same old thing that happens every day. It's not the standard run-of-the-mill. Every, every, every week we kind of get the same responses. What really fills you with, with expectation it's when something beautiful, something compassionate touches deep within your soul and strikes a chord with how you know the world 
really ought to be. <laughs> it says the crowd was ready to elevate him to a to position he wasn't ready for, a position he was not qualified for. Put the crown on his head. Declare him the Christ, for the Messiah has come. This sounds so different. This, uh, this sounds so much like what we've heard and what we've been taught for so long. <laughs> this must be our Messiah. Here is John with this opportunity to, to, to be enthroned, to, be, to receive this title, to, to be adored and to be followed. And what does he do? He steps away, says, no, you've got me wrong. I'm preparing the way for the one who is to come. I'm preparing the way for the Christ who will begin to serve. And that's why. That's why this is an Advent text. Because John had this restraint. John knew. He says, don't put me on that pedestal. Don't put me up there. That's not me. I, I don't deserve that. But let's get our hearts ready. By repenting, by turning, by seeing fruit come of our lives. He left no doubt. This is not for me. This is not what I deserve. And I think, I think, that John built this excitement by setting things right, by giving people a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like, that when our repentance begins to transform our lives piece by piece, chiseling away the pieces of our lives that don't fall into harmony with how God wants us to live, that that's exciting, that's compelling, that builds anticipation and excitement. It's stirring and moving when our lives are ordered as God would have them. Um, I, in my car, I listen to a local radio station that drives my teenage boys crazy. Um, but uh, in the in the mornings, they it's because they I, I listen to old music and they don't like that as much. Um, <clears throat> In the morning, they do these Christmas wishes that they fulfill. Um, and, and I just kind of call it my daily dose of tears, right? Like I listen to these stories and I just get a little weepy and it's just so cool and I love it. Um, there was one this week. There was a man who was wheelchair bound. His van was broken and they fixed up the van because he had to stay home because if the van broke down while he was out, he's basically locked in his van because if the van isn't running, he can't get out. The, the real kicker was uh, the person who had made this Christmas wish and wrote in to, to the radio station was his ex-wife, and, and she just wanted to care for him this Christmas and give him, oh, man, I'll tell you. <laughs> my parents were separated. That's not what their relationship looked like, and I was just... It just And I thought, that's the world at its best. That's the world at its best. That's how it, how it can look. And this is the place we encounter a joy that's just remarkable. When our hearts settle into this, this generous place, this place of caring for our neighbor, this place of where we don't abuse, use and abuse the power we have, but we tenderly, generously, and caringly 
provide for the needs of our others. We have our eyes open to the needs that, that surround us and stepping in where we can. I want to brag on you a little bit. We can't keep orange, we can't keep the Christmas tags on the Christmas tree. I got scolded today because there was no more tags on the tree this week. Um, they all just disappeared. I want to brag on you a little bit because we, we have this sense at Christmas that, that it's the time. I want to tell you that for the people of God, when we set things right, there's this sense of joy that happens and it doesn't have to be reserved for Christmas. It's not just an Advent thing. This is the way the people of God are to live our lives. When we walk uprightly and justly, when we intentionally avoid using our, our status and, and find a, cons- a content space in which to live, what happens? Our lives are filled with joy. Our lives are filled with joy. And that's what we're reminded of. In this text from John the Baptist, as he as he helps these people who who desperately want to know how how does this work? How do we get there? What should we do? John answers those questions for those people, and he answers those questions for us today. I'm going to invite the praise team to come as we sing to close this morning. When our lives are are committed to living out the repentance, not just the I'm sorry. Not just the, oh, I've been caught, but saying, I'm not going to go this way any longer. I'm going to allow Christ to transform my life. <clears throat> We've been working our way through an Advent devotional, um, and uh, it was written this year by, by a former pastor of this church, Pastor Olivia. Some of you remember those days when she was here. She wrote this, um, and so I want to give her credit. But I just found this um, poignant and, and remarkable for us today. Joy isn't merely a feeling brought about by circumstances. It is a deep and abiding state brought on by our connection with Christ. It's not passive, but is fostered through the ways that we live. Our lives are continually transformed to look more like Jesus. When we lay aside our discontent, when we share with others, when we find ways to seek justice and compassion in the world, then we find these profound moments of joy that we can't help but share with the world around us. End quote. The joy we're called to in this season of Advent is not one where we have completely arrived. We still have work to do, but instead it is the joy of a world set just a little more right, a little more as it ought to be, made that way by the people of God, living out their calling in the spaces and places that they live and that we move and that we breathe. May it be so in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll sing. God, thank you today for your love. Thank you for this reminder, (laughs) kind of starting off in an odd way, but such a, a powerful reminder of the joy that comes when we adjust our lives, when we truly repent, when we turn and walk another direction, God. We're in the midst of this season of Advent, which is this short season that kind of leads and builds towards Christmas. But I pray today that all of our lives would be affected in this way. 
that we would be joy-filled people, not because our circumstances are rosy or perfect, but that we'd be filled with joy because we're part of setting the world right, of responding in generous ways, of caring for those around us, for the needs that we see. We love you. Thank you for being with us this morning and teaching us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. That's the prayer of our Advent season. Come, Lord Jesus, come, our King and our Savior. We celebrate that today. Would you stand with me, those who are able to receive the morning benediction? And in our church, we just kind of extend our hands as a reminder, a physical reminder that we receive this prayer this morning. Lord, this Advent season, may our lives be filled with joy. Not the joy of everything being perfect, but the joy of choosing to participate in setting things right and caring for those around us and being the hopeful, peaceful, joy-filled people of God in our world. Amen. May it be so. Go in the love of Christ. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.